Hi guys. Ooh. So I think we'll get started as it is. Welcome to Demand is an episode five, I believe we're on. And today we're going to be covering content distribution 101. But before we get going, we've, we've had some feedback that we're not very good at um, introing everyone to everyone. So um, let's do that this time. First of all, is, um, yeah, I'm Alice Sima Cognizant, and then I will hand over to Fran to give a little intro. Hi, I'm Fran. I'm head of demand gen at Cognizant. So nice to be here. And then Beanel, do you want to introduce yourself, our guest for today? Yeah. Yes. Hi, everyone. So my name is Beanel, and I'm one of the SEO and content execs here at Cognizant. Yeah, we brought Beano on as our guest speaker today because she has been running our LinkedIn um, company page strategy for the last, I don't know, six plus months. Beano must be now more, maybe yeah, even more, yeah. um, and has done a phenomenal <laughs> job with it. So yeah, we're excited to have Beano share with us like all the all the good and the bad things that we've done. But also, if you're wondering if you're in the right place, we're not ones to normally brag, but I thought I would bring this up because this happened yesterday. Um, and I thought it was great timing given that the whole um, yeah, the subject matter of this uh, webinar is all about content distribution um, and a part of our key channels and our strategy is our LinkedIn organic page. And the fact that we were, um, yeah, called out just to say that um, doing a good job, I think, hopefully means you're in good hands here today and we will be able to give you some very actionable advice um, and tactical things we can go in and implement going. But before we do, in the spirit of introducing people, Liam's joined us. Liam, do you want to do a quick intro to yourself? Yes. Uh, uh, I'm Liam and I uh, head up the demand gen team here at um, Cognizant. So everything in creating that sweet, sweet demand. Uh, um, yeah, great to meet everyone. Amazing. So now we're just going to crack on into the, the content and start off with scaling um, your company LinkedIn page. So a bit of background. Um, we started with about 3K followers probably two years ago now. And now we're nearly at 28K followers. Um, and we've seen a lot of velocity in that growth in terms of follower growth since we changed the way we did things. So no better person to bring on to talk through what we actually have done to achieve this phenomenal increase in followers um, and growth of the page than Beano, who is actually managing it day to day. So yeah, take it away, Beano. Great. Thank you so much. Um, yeah. So I think to start with, when you're thinking about the improvements to make to LinkedIn, you've got to really just go back to the basics. What is your goal of the page? Now, as a channel, LinkedIn, it should just purely be value led. You should not be using it to self-promote yourself. We found this out um, the hard way. <laughs> um, we weren't getting the engagement that we were that we wanted. So this is what we've learned. It's an organic channel designed to help educate your audience and build awareness. Um, think of it as kind of like the tofu part of your content distribution strategy and your overall demand gen um, approach. So in these posts, in these LinkedIn posts, if you think of what you see on your feed every day, you want to be able to learn something. That's what LinkedIn is. It's essentially a professional learning community um, when you're in B2B. So it should include actionable takeaways, um, something new um, or interesting for your audience to consider and also help your audience to recognize common pain points and say oh yeah I can relate to that and okay this is a really good way to solve them so this is sort of a mantra that um I have well Alice is kind of ingrained in my brain now so with every post I kind of ask myself if I was scrolling through my feed on LinkedIn is my post valuable enough that I'm going to consume the content in feed in moments so I'm not going to stop consume 
and then take away something really valuable. So where can your valuable content for these LinkedIn posts come from? So for us, we ask our sales and our marketing teams. We listen to customer calls. That way we can understand what the pain points are. Regular research into key trending topics. LinkedIn in itself is a huge resource for this. Um, but we also work with a subject matter expert, which we've you know, covered in a previous expert. We work with Ryan Racer, so he's got some great insights. Um, and even his own channel is a great resource for the company channel. Take insights from the great content that you've already, already produced. If you think about your content team, they've spent hours outputting great blog articles and you know, white papers and podcast episodes. Use it to your advantage. It's a great resource. And yeah, as I was already mentioned, take insights from other leading industry leaders where they've got a presence. Um, so this is kind of a few, I guess, of, of the many valuable content ideas to form your LinkedIn posts. So this is what we used to do in the past <laughs> and it didn't work well and I'll go through why. Promoting one of our blog articles. So this was um, one of our cold calling live write-ups. So whilst the link says seven tips for acing cold calling, there's not really much more information. So if I am scrolling through this and looking at this post for the first time, I'm not likely to click on it because it's just a link and I'm going to say what's in it for me. There's no actual tip in the text itself. Now, what would have been different here is if I took a deep dive into one of the seven tips and then said, there's a link in the comments. That's not promotional. It is valuable um, because somebody can read it. They can take an insight. OK, this is one way that I can ace cold calling in 2022. So that's the difference. So what we've learned is that we should be giving away through our LinkedIn channel a lot more than what we are asking for in return. What I'm now going to do is go through some of the posts that we have been experimenting with and that we found super engaging and valuable. So this is a text only post. So as we've kind of mentioned before, your blog content is a crucial part of your content distribution strategy. And that's if it's distributed in a valuable and meaningful way. And LinkedIn can help with this. So if you take a specific topic from a blog, zoom into it and provide that as the content for your post, that is way more valuable. Um, and it doesn't also have to be about your blog content. You can also use your text only posts to talk about insights, experiences. I love experimenting with storytelling posts. They've been really successful for us. Um, and again, you're sharing something new that you've learned with your audience or your following um, and they'll engage with the post in return. So on this one, for example, um, this is essentially taken from one of our posts, um, one of our blog posts rather, common challenges facing SDRs. So this is just a zoom into one of the challenges um, and it's just got an insight. There's not even, in this one, there's not even a link to the blog article in the comments, but it's just one text only post. Um, so, you know, if I was an SDR, I can immediately understand or sympathize that this is one of the main challenges that's facing my role. Um, in the next few months or, you know, however long. So that's the difference with those kind of posts. So this is a text and video post. So this is something that we kind of got inspired from with the whole Chris Walker Refine Labs style. So this has been, um, you know, this is kind of how we immediately started brainstorming with the value-led approach. So we have our new episodes of the podcast that come out every week so we wanted to sort of revisit how we were sharing those because in the past we would have a very small supporting text about the guest speaker not really give much to away and then just a link to to the 
to the subscription link or to the episode link with a video. And we realized again, that's too promotional. It's not really what LinkedIn should be used for. So this time now we use text and video posts as an opportunity to from not promote, but share the podcast um, in a meaningful way. And we don't have a super forceful language. We don't say, here's the link. Um, we leave it in the comments below. So this one, this was from one of our recent episodes with David Delaney. So we've just got the video snippet and then just some supporting text. And then if people are interested, they can go and check out the, po the podcast and the links in the comments. Um, so yeah, we do the tag, we tag the speakers. Um, say there's a link in the comments. Um, make sure that there's a key insight in the actual post itself. So something supporting the video. And something that we've learned as well is obviously if you're on LinkedIn, normally if I'm scrolling personally, I don't have time to watch 50 minute to an hour videos. So we found super useful the square format snippet. So we've got a great video person. She's amazing at this. Um, so she will take one podcast episode, split them up into video snippets. Um, and use that kind of center each one around a different topic. And that for us has been a lot more successful. And it means that your audience can consume the episode in bite-sized chunks and take something away super easily. Um, something actionable, something super valuable very quickly. So I'm gonna talk a little bit more about some of the other value-led posts. Um, so these were actually centered around optimizing what we were already dealing with. So a great example is carousels. Now, the carousels are gold dust for engagement. We've, we knew this even before the value-led approach, but obviously when we were thinking about this new value-led approach, we were thinking, how can we optimize them even more? How can we use them to our advantage even more? In the past, I think we were using carousels purely for hiring posts, I believe. Don't think we were using them for anything else, really. Um, whereas now, if I'm briefing in a carousel to a lovely design team, I will take a section from a blog, um, it's a step-by-step -step or really actionable, valuable tips or tricks and turn that into the carousel. So this is an example of one, the revenue-driven email marketing checklist. And then in the actual text of the LinkedIn post, um, it is expanding on the topic a little bit more generally. And um, yeah, so for example, we might include quotes from our colleagues um, or insights from somebody that we've interviewed. And yeah, again, immediately your followers can or your audience, they can flick through the slides, um, save it. They've immediately learned something new in feed in moments. So these have been really great for us and we've just found an even better way to optimize them. So again, polls, audience, they love polls. They just engage with them. But again, there's so much more that you can do with them when you found this out. So what I will now do is I will do a poll, but again, I don't just give the question and then just say vote now. I'll give some background around the question um, and then go into the question. So you just kind of lead somebody into it. And then once the results are in, maybe a week later, I will do a follow-up post. So I always do these survey says type posts and I will give a rundown of the results. Um, and then what these follow-up posts really do is give you an opportunity to provide even more value for your and these follow-up posts are great because your audience might miss the poll. And then this way they can have a look and see, okay, this is what the results are. Um, there's something new here. There's, you know, some more information. And then what I will always end it on is if you didn't get a chance to vote or if you've got thoughts on this, let us know in the comments. And that just keeps the conversation going. I think often 
when we're posting to LinkedIn, we can just do one post and then forget it's there's so much opportunity to kind of create like a thread of posts. And this is something even into the second half of this year, I'm going to be working on a little bit more. But yeah, this is just something that we've done and found really, really fun to experiment with when it comes to polls. So definitely recommend doing these follow up poll posts if you haven't done already. So I want to talk about the exceptions because when it comes to webinars, live events, um, there's no reason you can't share that it's happening, but you just have to lead with value. So instead of saying, we have a new cold calling live episode that you can feature on, you can volunteer, here's the date, here's the time. If I'm scrolling through, you know, for the first time, what even happens on a cold calling live? Okay, it's around cold calling, what does that mean exactly? So what we now do with these kind of posts, and I think later on in the presentation, we'll kind of take a better look at this. Um, we will have a text and video post, and then in the comments say, this was taken from one of our cold calling lives. If you're interested in signing up for the next one, you can do. Um, that way it's value driven. And instead of posting the link to the sign up in the actual body of the post, instead of doing that, putting it in the comments means that it's not super forceful. And um, again, it's just value driven. That's just what you've got to always be think, lead first with value. And then outside of live events, this is the only other exception that I give myself when it comes to promotional material, press releases um, or news that's really important for us because especially if your audience is growing with you, um, you want to kind of you know inform them of the company journey and milestones. So those are the only other um, exceptions that I'll give because they do get great engagement. But apart from that, I steer close, I steer away from, you know, promoting events um, if they're not value driven. Um, and you just have to be strict with yourself. I think this is something I had to kind of get used to, that this is something that I was managing. So if somebody said, oh, hey, can you promote this? I'd say, you know, sorry, this isn't value driven. <laughs> so I just had to be a bit brutal with people. <laughs> just say no. Um, and it's paid off. So, uh, yeah, that's the only other exception. So, yeah, speaking of why it's paid off, um, these are the results. So. I'm not going to go through these number through number, but essentially you can see. So in February, it, this, this is the other thing, like this has been quite a immediate shift for us. And we've already seen the payoff really quick. So around mid-February time, this is when we um, just decided on this value-led approach. This is when Alice came to me and said, I think we need to revisit what we're doing with LinkedIn. So I went away, did some brainstorming, um, spent the you know sort of next half of February brainstorming different posts and just making sure that we were heading in the right direction and then almost immediately we were exceeding our engagement target so much that we actually changed our new engagement target to 6,000 um, last month and you can see the follower growth is following us in the pattern so um, again by June we were in a really good spot in terms of our following so this results kind of support all of the findings that um, I've been doing and sort of all the research and everything that I've been doing and we're always learning right it's never a fit process you're always going to find different things to trial um and yeah so those are the results and then I just wanted to kind of go into some other tips and tricks that I've learned along the way so the best time to post that we found um it's 1 p.m 5 p.m daily Monday to Friday so these are the two times that we've kind of identified where People are super active. If you think 1 p.m. time, people are like maybe on their lunch break, they're scrolling through LinkedIn. I know I'm always doing that. Um, and 5 p.m. because it's the end of the workday. And again, most of the time people are flicking through LinkedIn, maybe on their commute home or they just finished work. In terms of the metrics to track, so I would say the two are worth tracking. Engagement, definitely, um, and the follower growth. 
And in terms of the platform that I use, um, I use Agora Pulse and purely because I can schedule track and track the progress of LinkedIn posts in one go. So it kind of just is easier to track the results and see um, if the payoff is happening. And this is something that I need to be better at, um, but it is something that I, you know, it's something that I need to pick up again, but replying to comments. And what I mean is not just replying, saying, that's a really good point, asking follow-up questions, how have you done this? That way you can really keep a sense of community um, going and keep the engagement and conversation going. And if you're stuck on what to do, see what other companies are doing. So for us, big inspirations were the Chris Walker and Refined Labs approach, Metadata um, was a big one for us, and Landbot and Gated Podcasts for those square format videos. So that's kind of where we discovered that. And, you know, these have been the big ones for us. And then in terms of a content plan, so I'm sure, you know, in the past, on previous demanders, and we've spoken about content plans, not having a rigid one, and the same goes for LinkedIn. Things are changing every day. What people are talking about, especially on LinkedIn, it's changing all the time. So I like to keep it kind of a week in advance. I don't do more than that. That allows for flexibility. Sometimes I'll just say text video post and just decide on the day what I you know, want to do. Um, and that way I just can find I can have a bit more fun with it. Um, and then upskilling wider knowledge. So back in January, February time when this was given over to me, I had to go away and do a lot of my own um, research and personal learning just to kind of understand, you know, the, the fundamentals, the basics of LinkedIn. So for me, a big one um, was Devin Reed's LinkedIn course. It was amazing. A lot of the stuff that I've kind of included in this has been, you know, I've got to give credit to him. His course was amazing. So um, my advice would be if you're, you know, taking over this channel for the first time, talk to your line manager or whoever else, your colleague and just say, you know, I really want to invest in this course. Would you support me on it? And um, yeah, it's been a it's been a huge difference in terms of my understanding of the channel. Oh, that's it. Amazing. Thanks, Bino, so much for that. That was really, really good. Um, and yeah, Bino has been managing this for the, as I said, for um, us purely like on her own and has all of those great results have come from her work and research and understanding how to be value driven. So I think, um, yeah, hopefully loads of great insights there for everyone. And I'm just going to take Max's question. So um, what tips would you give for multi-product companies that target multiple personas? Um, so first and foremost, what I would do is find out who is actually active on LinkedIn, because it may well be that some of these personas, LinkedIn's not actually the channel for them, um, and it may be somewhere else. And then what I would do is I would run a test. So I would probably go for two months and I would actually spit out um, the personas and I would use all the best types of value led engagement tactics that we've actually covered now. Um, and then I would look and see which ones are resonating most, so which generate the most engagement per persona. Um, and you'll also be able to see where your follower growth ends up coming from as well during that time. And I think that will give you a good steer to look at actually, okay, so LinkedIn for us is working really well for these personas and that's where we're gonna double down. And it might be that you need to go and find the others somewhere else in a different channel that's gonna be better fitted for them. Um, or you might find that it's, you know, they all they all are loving the LinkedIn um and then that's probably where you're going to need to supplement your organic with some paid as well to enable you to actually really target um most effectively but that would be how I would approach it um okay and then I wanted to cover um go on to content distribution more generally because I think um 
it's interesting one it's obviously very topical right now content distribution and people are talking about it and saying don't just post once and forget um create and distribute forever but there's not a lot of tactical advice on how you actually do this so we have really been trying to work it out for ourselves at cognizant the linkedin company page is like one place that we're doing that but there are lots of other areas that we're doing distribution in as well um and so we did try out having one person solely focused on the problem of content distribution. Um, and we had them in their role, focus on it for like four to five months, but we didn't really get the results from that that we were hoping for. Um, and I think it became clear to me that actually focus wasn't the problem. It was actually about tying what we're trying to achieve with distribution to strategic objectives of the marketing function. And actually it does need to be multiple people who are involved in it um, to maximize the impact you're gonna get. And we're gonna to touch on lots of those different teams and who is involved in that um, process now as well. Um, so hopefully that will be brought to life a little bit closer. But then this is one example where I'm gonna be able to yeah, show you very clearly how we take one pillar piece of content and we distribute it in multiple formats with multiple people involved in that process um and yeah so hopefully that will give you some ideas so we run this um very much like this event this is our sort of live marketing event we call it um and we run a similar one for our sales persona which is called cold calling live um and this happens on a bi-monthly basis and we look at, we've, we've kind of broken down where we feel like the channels and opportunities for distribution for this are after the event. So we can repurpose that um, live call calling um, event for a podcast, very much like we do with the demandism episodes. We could do social media posts. They can form a lot of what the organic LinkedIn content that Beanall uses. We can run paid ads, um, which we'll go on to later exactly how we do that and how we think about splitting a big piece of content into chunky pieces of content for our paid ads and how we bucket those. Um, it can also be the basis of blogs. It can feed in the newsletter um, that we run and it can be it can be basis of a bigger, longer form written piece of content. Um, and also our subject matter expert can also um, promote it as well. So these are all the different ways that we um, can and do distribute that one live event. So it takes an hour of time for Ryan Reset, who's our subject matter expert, and also one other person. And from that, we get so much value and it just rinses and repeats. So this is just an example of Ryan sharing it on his own um, profile and yeah, distributing it in that way. And there's also the podcast. So then it will go on to our podcast. And um, that's actually some of our best listened to episodes for ourselves, Persona. Um, and there's no reason that you can't, yeah, just take the live webinar event and make that into a podcast with a little bit of editing. And then blogs, it becomes the basis for written content because often people digest things in very different ways. And so we have found that actually having um, blogs about um the live event is very useful, but also think different. It's a great time for us to come up with other content ideas because it's, we try and keep them all very engaging as well. So we have questions, we see where the engagement come from, comes from and that gives us better ideas for what we're gonna write about as well. So also blogs. And then we have, we create like a longer form piece of content, which might be the compilation of two to three or four episodes um, of that live cold calling. So this page um, is very long, it's interactive, it fuels our SEO, but it's also there um, and being pushed out on paid as well. And then speaking of paid, we run snippets from those live events in paid ads. And these tend to sit in our thought leadership and content buckets, which we'll cover later. And they get amazing engagement as well. And 
organic social finally it is great content for being able to use um to actually put into all of the things that we just talked about now it comes from a lot of those like sort of live events or other pieces of content that we're producing um but yeah becomes the subject matter of what Beano's able to post about later on so that's just a really like practical oh and fight and we do it another way as well we use it in the in the newsletter too so yeah there's that's literally one piece of hour-long content and we use it in all of these different ways um and there's a whole load of people within the team who'll be responsible for delivering that in different areas so that hopefully that's sort of brought to life the different ways in which you can take one thing reuse it time and again and actually distribute that much further and so now going on to paid social for a content distribution channel so i think this one is interesting we've covered organic um but we didn't want to not talk about paid social because there's for exactly the reason that i was actually touching on a bit earlier to, with Max and sort of, um, I guess, his pain point in having multiple personas. Um, paid social gives you a lot more freedom in terms of targeting and what you're able to do. So I will hand over to Liam to talk through how we're approaching distribution on paid. Yeah, hi everyone. So um, <clears throat> there's absolutely no reason why paid social shouldn't be a content distribution channel. Um, and here I'm back on about moving from lead gen to a demand gen model. But um, if you are using paid channels in the right way of like not pushing them to gated content or for leads, then um, you can promote and distribute your content ungated in, in feed or on your website, whatever way suits you um, like really effectively. Um, so there's some actual benefits um, for using paid social over like an organic following. Uh, or creating an organic following. Um, and that is that you can, one, you can target very precisely um, on paid social. So you can really distribute it to the people that you you need to get in front of uh, and eyes on. Um, and you can hit that target audience with the same message more than once a lot easier. Like um, I've seen people here, you know, I'm talking about, and we're already talking about like when you post too much on your like company page um, that yeah, like LinkedIn maybe starts to like limit how, and stuff but when you when you're paying for it obviously um it gets pushed in front of those eyes um as much as as much as it, they can take from you right because it, 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 they're, they're taking your money they'll, they'll give you what <laughs> give you what you want um and it's much quicker than organic social to get started with because obviously the audience is already there you've just got to put the budget behind it so you don't have to spend that time building it out um uh, and it also helps that your, your organic following at the same time. As we see our budget increase and our spend on paid social increase, we see the following that we get on our company accounts and on personal accounts go up with it because you, it's it's you're just your brand is getting pushed out everywhere. So you, it all becomes like a double momentum sort of action. Um, and then you can easily distribute it in different formats across channels and audiences. So you can break out those campaigns and build out like carousels, videos, st static images, um, and you can build that all at the same time as you might have to take in more considerations when you're organic, like doing organically, like what you're going to do in this post and next. And so you can have it all running at once. Um, but the main con obviously is you need money for it. Um, but if you have the money for it, it's a great way to just get your content out there and distribute it quickly. So, what channels can you use or like, I think are good channels uh, for, for B2B especially. So I've put here LinkedIn, Facebook and Instagram, 
YouTube and TikTok. Um, and I'd say each have separate considerations for starting that you want to think about. So LinkedIn is by and large, I've probably had Twitter to here as well. Um, and just thinking about the things that we're basically considering using or using, but each of each have separate considerations for starting. Like LinkedIn is by and large the best uh, for targeting. You can hit um, in B2B, you can get people really accurate um, and you can get exactly the people you want, but you are going to pay more for it. Um, the CPM a bit more expensive than say Facebook or Instagram. Um, Facebook uh, and Instagram is great. You can get much more impressions for your uh, price and for the cost point, but um, you'll have problems with um, targeting um, in it natively. So we use um, at all metadata to help us target better. Um, but that is like a, a major thing about Facebook and Instagram. Like you, you have to sort of sort out your targeting to get the most out of it, but you can do it natively as well. Um, but you're not going to be, it's not going to be as like um, accurate as it is on LinkedIn. Um, and then the other two, the, uh, the first two, um, I've, I've we started, yeah, the first one, the first thing, the last two we're sort of looking at. Want to do more on YouTube. Um, and actually we're looking at doing that now. Um, you can get quite, you can get very granular in your targeting on YouTube. It's just that the videos that you want to create um, need to be a bit uh, higher production. I think YouTube's closer to TV in that kind of the the ads you create. You can't really be low production on it. You're not getting results. So that's something we're looking at doing now, which then takes a little bit more time. Um, and TikTok is really new for us, but you can also target um, here quite granularly targeting on uh, hashtags. So people who are literally just posting maybe like B2B marketing, sales coaching. Um, and then I think there's different ways though, because of the audience is still so much wider and the targeting isn't as good. Uh, you you have to like think about ways that you might like call out your audience and stuff uh, in your ads before you do it and things like that. Just going to ask you a quick couple of Roughly, how large are our audiences on paid social LinkedIn at the moment? And they vary, obviously, by persona, but roughly, could you? Uh, yes, uh, I'm going to might have to just have a quick dip in and have a quick look at that. Yeah. They're like 300k at the moment. Um, they okay. are. I've just yeah. been on there. So yeah. Thank you. Um, they're 300k, and I think that's the bench, the benchmark from LinkedIn as well. Um, is around 300k, but um. We've um, had success with running like t um, very relevant pain point focused um, content to like target accounts, for example, and those audience can be around between six and 10K. But um, the most success I would say for max max engagement is, yeah, like 100K plus, I would say. Yeah, I would, I would touch on this again as well. Like, again, it depends on um, what is your AOV of your product and actually how big is your ICP anyway, because it may well be that you you can't get to 300K and that's actually fine because again, like what are you willing to pay to get eyes on that content um, consistently in feed? And also if the AAV warrants it, then actually, you know, you could probably could pay 2X what we're paying for a CPM. So I think it's all relevant. Um, but you obviously do get economies of scale. So we're very lucky and fortunate in that our ICP um, is really sales and marketing professionals in any industry. Mm -hmm. Um, so we, we have a very wide audience, but equally when we've tried to go tighter for um, target accounts and sort of enterprise focus, that has also paid off for us. So don't be afraid of that either. Um, mm. Just, yeah, think you just need to think about it in the context of, of your business. I'd also say it's like massively dependent on the budget you can put forward for it. Right. So we, we, we face it for if you've got a 300 K audience, but you can only afford to spend $10 a day on an ad, you're not going to get very far with it. Like your frequency is going to be so low that um, no one's going to see that ad 
more than once ever. Um, so the smaller the budget you have, the tighter your audience can be. But also if you have a massive budget and a tight audience and you're going to just max out your frequency and annoy everyone with your ads too quickly um, uh, and everyone's going to see your content over and over again and, and it will need refreshing. So I think it's so dependent, really. But um, yeah. And I, I think even then, as long as you're aware of the frequency point, you keep the cap in mind and you're refreshing frequently, then like not necessarily a bad thing. Um, and then do you know roughly the split, split, Liam, that we are running on retargeting on LinkedIn versus Facebook, Instagram right now? Most of the the majority of the retargeting we do is um, on LinkedIn um, over Facebook. Um, but actually, if you look at budget to split in general, um, so uh, if we take all of our paid budget um, and we took out, for example, I mean, I'm including like Google in this as well. It currently sits at like 40 percent. It's like face, uh, LinkedIn and twenty percent Facebook, um, and then like uh, another like thirty forty percent sits with Google. So um, that's kind of like the split in general. Um, and then so this is like how we structure it. There's probably a million ways to do this. But I'm just hoping this like helps some people anyway, and maybe they'll maybe I'll go away and, and people can think about like structuring it something similar or. And I think we'll change it at some point as well. Like we've structured it in many different ways. Um, but we break out basically our LinkedIn and Facebook campaigns into to these sort of buckets. Um, so there's thought leadership, which at the moment gets 10% of budget. And that goes, thought leadership is everything that is like all your content that is talking about the next thing in that in that content bucket. So like I'd um we're like talked about in that like this lead gen to demand gen movement in marketing for example maybe in sales we've talked about like uh what we've had the campaign like a five pillars of outbound like what is outbound and where is it going and what's the next um the, what's the future of it um and that sort of sits in your thought leadership this is like top level education keeping uh that people would be like interested and sorry Lim, as you're talking through these um just with sean's question in mind could you talk through the objective um that we choose on them as well so how that differs from traffic engagement brand awareness etc yes absolutely um and i'll go i can go into that actually on, on the individual ads so um quite often it, like it's like when we have like these object the objectives that you'll have um for each ad i think it actually depends on what the content is you're distributing rather than the bucket so um if you're if you're pushing them to like a long form piece on your website that you know is really good and the ad is just to attract someone there, then you're going to choose the sort of website visits um, uh, objective and you're going to want to like optimize it so that, you know, you're getting clicks on the ads to get through to your landing page. Um, if your all your message can be consumed in the, um, in the ad, whether it's static, whether it's a carousel, because you're going to play with it, right? It's, you're probably you're more likely to have it so it's all going to be consumed in feed it, then you're going to be we, we would, would pick like reach as the objective because we just want to reach people in our audience and we just want them to see it in feed they don't need to leave they get all the they can consume the content it's distributed in feed for them and then same for video right if you've got um a video you want them to consume that video in feed so you choose video views um as maybe your campaign objective um, but then again, like there's a video down here that we've got um, in the demo stage, which we're going to, um, and that actually we're like trying to push people for conversions, but there is, the, the video has content in itself. So then we might choose this, for that one to go back to website visits. 
Um, but if you have a particularly small retargeting audience, you might um, you can max it out quite quickly if you go for conversions. So you can you can change it to web, uh, video views as well to sort of like um, max the amount of times that your your ad gets played. Um, I hope that I hope that covers it. And I'll go back into it a bit more if um, need be. But um, sorry, we're gonna <laughs> Mike is asking a question as well. So how um, do you tend to organise these ads at campaign structure level? Um, and then I can up the second part of that question, how do you utilize content boosts in LinkedIn versus a true sponsor post? And we don't do content boosts um, is the quick answer to that one. But then if you want to just talk through how that's actually organized on the campaign level, Liam. Yes, sure. So um, on the campaign level, we'd, we we divide us. We've got different accounts for regions. Then in each um, account, uh, there is, each region, then you'll have um, thought leadership, marketing thought leadership, sales thought leadership, marketing content, sales content, break those all out. Then you go into like thought leadership and then we're in there, we'd have the individual. So that's the campaign groups. Then in between, you'd have your campaigns and then you'd have thought leadership, static thought leadership. Um, static is like just image thought leadership, um, carousel thought leadership video. We'll have a naming convention there as well to say whether the objective is reach uh, website views or anything like that. And we just break it out like that. If you do it on Facebook, it's easier because you can... Um, push formats together so you can have carousel but you can have all of them in the same ad set so you can simplify your um your basic your campaign structure but in linkedin you, you fully break it out um so content for us is anything with a dotted line back to the product so um it's like cold calling for us or like uh the we've got here like the dark side of marketing like the idea of um uh not collecting leads like at not like other ways of using data and not having to do contact um, contact data capture. So obviously that feeds back into our product as well. And then we have product ads, which is basically pushing Cognizant. We normally run big campaigns for these um, uh, and like what Cognizant is and like explaining the product um, and how both sales or marketing and how you can use it. Um, and then we have social proof which is obviously is running all of our case, like case studies and um, reviews and things like that and pushing those out into the audience. Um, and then we have demo, which is um, pushing for like a demo conversion-based stuff. Um, but here, right, you can use content again in here. So like this one um, in the uh, top, sort of, sort of the top of the bottom right corner, we've just got uh, Dave, who's our sales leader, and he just like addresses the audience gives some like information about um, Cognizant at the same time. And it's just like much more interesting than just like uh, grab a demo ad. Um, um, so it's like another way of getting out there. Um, One thing I would also just touch on, cause I'm just conscious, like we're talking at this from like a point of having quite a lot of um, budget that we're able to put into these. And so it might be that you don't have a large budget. And so splitting out your budget into what is now like five different campaigns and then even further down from that it's not something that's going to be practical for you so I guess um from my perspective if, if I was looking at like what I would do in that situation I would combine like thought leadership and content together um and I would I would combine the product and social proof together and demo is just retargeting anyway so you could get this down to just three buckets um this is probably like if you're in a position where you do have a, a larger budget to spend and you're able to like spit them out in this way just wanted mm -hmm. to yeah and that's like totally true as well and exactly how we started really uh, we only split this out more as um 
your, the budget increases. And in fact, in that way, it helps you helps you spend that budget, right? And distribute that content more effectively. So if you've got less budget, you tighten it up. And if you've got more, you can't start to expand it out. Um, and um, and, then, and then, then this is sort of what really worked for us in that way. Um, and in terms of like the audience that we're going after is like, is we've got our marketing ourselves audiences broad um, and we just try and um, uh, we're like, we're trying to hit all of that cold audience. It doesn't matter where you are um, in like, whether you've seen another ad before or anything like that. Um, obviously we're doing retargeting for demo, but we're not, we're not funneling it out. We're going all of the ICP all at once. Um, so they might see a social proof ad and then followed by that, they might see a thought leadership ad. We're not assuming where they are in that sort of like, uh, funnel and what, what sort of content they want to see. We're just pushing everything out. all the time. Everyone, that's my <laughs> better summed up than me. Uh, but yeah, that's kind of it. Um, uh, and I'm happy to answer any more questions as well. Great, thank you. Um, and then let's go into how we structure this in the demand gen team because I know there's been questions on this. Um, from Charlie and others in the chat. So I'm hoping that we're gonna answer them now, but if not, just pop back up and we can cover any gaps that we miss off. But over to you, Fran. Cool, thank you. Um, yeah, so um, I, yeah, I did see your question, Charlie, um, but yeah, it was coming later in the presentation. So hopefully um, I can answer this for you. Um, so yeah, again, I've shared quite a lot recently about the different structures we've had. Um, I've spoken about a pod, like moving into that kind of structure. Um, and we've taken a lot of these like lessons that we've learned and um, we've come up with this new structure for like, um, I guess like the way in which we're gonna approach um, DG. So just to talk you guys through, um, and I guess um, as well, I appreciate that everyone has like different personas and potentially different setups, but um, we, Basically, so I sit as the head of DG and we've now broken it out into um, core focuses. So what we found was that um, we have two core personas and if everyone's focusing on both, then I guess like the messaging won't always be as clear. Like our main goals are to be really value led and you can only be super value led if you really understand your persona, like their pain points, like know where your audience are hanging out. So we decided to split um, split the pod in, I guess, essentially in half. So um, we have sales and we have marketing um, and they're our core personas. And then we have a DG managers um, that feed into and own those personas who are supported by demand generation execs as well. Um, and where content sits is we have a senior SEO and content exec in each pod. So again, they um, form like part of that sales pod or that marketing pod. And the idea is that we have that true expertise and that true focus. Um, totally appreciate that maybe not everyone does have that luxury of um, having like two content uh, people like sitting in a DG team, but hopefully this gives you an idea, um, if not of structure, of like how you can focus um, even in a smaller team. Um, so a few things, um, I guess, to know about having um, content operating in a DG team. Um, I'll talk a little bit about what we used to do and hopefully now we, I can show you this new world and how it um, is having a better impact. So um, previously how demand gen would work with content um, would be not really, it wasn't ever really very focused. It was, um, we would probably sit at the beginning of the quarter and content, we would come up with a list of 
vague titles potentially that content would work on. Um, and I think like that was kind of it. And then demand gen would check in um, from time to time. So um, yeah, we just really just had that. Um, I don't know, I guess for me, like it was quite wishy-washy in terms of like we had key titles, but we were really um, then having much conversation with content after that. So what we really wanted to do is work out how we can collaborate closer with content to be like really, really value-led and actually delivering what our audience want. And I'll just talk a little bit about how we're redefining the content role. And I guess like, yeah, I see <laughs> I see the comments on the chat. Um, I know we do have that luxury of a bigger team, but of course, um, you know, there, there was a situation where, the, you know, we didn't have this and we made it work with less people. It's just obviously about how you can, you know, how you're setting that up. Um, and again, yeah, we can um, dig in afterwards about prioritization as well. Um, so this is how we've redefined um, the content role. So um, integrating content and demand generation to work as one team. Um, and the content and SEO executive, um, traditionally they're, role would be um, to come up with a list of titles and write X amount of um, and that would be that. Um, but what we really want to do is rethink this and as we want to be value driven and we're thinking about, you know, we've ungated everything, we're delivering everything across multiple channels um, we want to get away from that like pure blog writing. So content now are so fully aligned in the DG team, but they're optimizing their content for channels where our audience are actually hanging out. So instead of just writing blog posts, the content exec is responsible for knowing every piece of content we've got for the particular persona that they're working on. And um, we look kind of beyond the blog posts or like the traditional ebook, and we look at um, producing, you know, they're responsible for like getting this content out there and feeding it into those key content buckets that Liam spoke about, so the thought leadership, the social proof product, et cetera. Um, and we can do that in so many different formats as Alice has shared, so like video, podcasts, um, infographics, case studies. So it's really like um, widening the scope of the um, and the responsibilities of our content. Exec. I'm just going to also dive in there, Frank, because I think it's a, just coming back to, I know there's lots of people on here who might even only be one person teams. Mm -hmm. um, sure. I just wanted to reiterate back to um, when I was showing that example of the cold calling live. So I guess if I was one person in a demand gen team and I was trying to do this all myself, that I would definitely be taking that as like, this is the way forward and this is how I'm going to like scale content and content distribution. So one live event or one big pillar piece of event, I think it's it's great if it can be video. So these types of things are great for that. Um, and then you can split it down in all the ways I showed earlier in that example with the cold calling live. So you're basically taking that one hour, you're gonna end up with eight different content pieces and like three to four different channels that that can be served on. And the great thing about like a live event is you don't necessarily need like massive expertise on the content side to write the supporting content because a lot of it can come from all of that was spoken about in the event as well. So you can lean on freelancers um, to scale that, et cetera. So I just wanted to like touch back to that and say, um, I guess we're going into like scale mode now, but if I if we were back to sort of the, the days in the Vauxhall when it was just a, a, like a lonely team of one, that would sort of be the philosophy and process I guess I would take. Um, and yes, it will take a little bit longer than it will with a team that's got like their in-house in designer and videographer. Um, but again, you could one hour, one live event, eight pieces of content, three to four channels that you can serve it on. I think the key is thinking is doing the research to understand what channels are going to have the most impact for your audience. 
sorry, back to you. I just wanted to dive in with that. Yeah, that's fine. Of course, um, super valuable. And yeah, um, absolutely, it is um, all about that focus. And yeah, this is very new to us as well. So we have operated in a world where it's just been a couple of us and we've had to just say, you know, we're going to focus on this one piece of content, but we're going to just distribute it really, really well. Um, so yeah, I guess um, maybe maybe just to think of it differently instead of um, if you are um, like a team of two and have one content person, maybe it is about um, not just producing um, a blog post, but working out like different ways you can distribute it. So like Alice said, like pivoting towards maybe an event that can be sliced and diced um, as opposed to just looking at it. Because I know when I used to look at it, it was quite tunnel vision. Um, the content would literally just write and that was it. Um, and now it is quite exciting, like, you know, seeing them be part of like other um, DG initiatives. So yeah, really um, the, you know, content for us sitting in the DG team, they're part of key campaigns. Um, they focus on high intent pages um, that convert. And again, that's another thing. If, if it is like a resource issue, then, um, you know, and you're a small team, um, we found that focusing on high intent SEO pages was something um, that really, really paid off. So if you don't you know, you don't have the luxury of somebody only focusing on SEO. Why don't, you know, you take those high intent pages um, where you're seeing the most traffic, the most time on page and where you're seeing those like demo requests um, and where you're getting those conversions. And it's really important to focus on that and keep those high intent pages updated as opposed, I suppose, just trying to do absolutely everything um, all at once. I guess that would be another advice for focus. Um, so, yeah, um, I just think that's just wanted to give like, a general update of I, for us, like the changing role of um, the content role now, um, you know, we do have content execs in the team, in the DG team, and, you know, distribution is a core part of that. So, yeah, I'll leave it there because I think we probably have a few Got questions. some questions, yeah. So I wanted yeah. to go into Mike's question because there's, um, yeah, there's, this is a really good one and we can talk us through, I'm going to bring Liam in um, to talk us through. So how... Um, balance, how do we balance paid social measurement in direct attribution from in-platform tracking as well as self-reported to get a sense of what's working or we should do more or less of? So I think let's touch on really important is the naming conventions, how that plugs into UTMs, the goals that we have set up on paid platforms so that we can get that insight in Salesforce. And then also we can look at talk about that self-reported attribution play as well. Yeah, uh, so uh, just to take it, take it away. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, so I think as soon as you um, like, as you, if you're not measuring just like from lead gen, like uh, it, like you have to sort of take in like the whole, the whole approach. So um, we have all of our ads out in platform that we're measuring. Obviously, all of that, um, all of the engagement and all of the 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 stuff in there that we can see whether the content's doing well and people are commenting, liking, and, and all of that sort of stuff. Uh, but then if we're linking back to the website, uh, GMs put in, I mean, then we have uh, first and last touch UTMs um, there. So if someone then comes to the website from like a Facebook ad and then they complete a form, uh, then it will pull through that lead source's Facebook um, and we'll be able to see that that's the source that they came through from. And they might come through from Facebook, right? And then complete a form to join a webinar. They'll say Facebook. And then next time they'll complete a form and they've come from an ad from through uh, LinkedIn. And then we'll see that first and last search UTM. So that gives us some sort of attribution. After they've completed the form, we have on our thank you page, um, what we call like 
um, human human verified attribution or it's like self-reported attribution. Um, and we just ask people uh, how they found out about us. Um, and because it, it might be that they click through from the ad, right? But actually they've been listening to Demandism for months now. Uh, and that's the first thing that pops their mind. And that's the main reason they found out about us. Um, so we piece all of that information together some sort of picture about what content is working for us, um, how it works. We know that people are commenting on LinkedIn ads about cold calling. They're loving it. We're knowing that people have found us from cold calling live because they've told us in the self-reported attribution. And we know from our UTMs that people are coming through the ads on LinkedIn. And together we're getting some sort of picture then of, of where people are coming from. Yeah. And I would say like, so the in-platform paid social measurements should be telling you what content in each of those buckets is resonating most. So you will have your core engagement metrics that you want to set out. So we can, we'll probably need to cover this all in a separate episode, but things like thumbs dot ratio, um, like, yeah, like scroll depth, these types of things that you want to measure. Um, and then for the, and assisted assistance to demo requests, cause you can create goals, um, within the platform as well to see that if they do go in the next 30 days and request them on your website as well and all these things. So you probably, we would need to do a whole, I think a whole episode on that, but you will set your benchmarks on the engagement tracking in platform, in paid that you want to look at. And then I think that is what you look at to understand what content you need more of within each of those buckets, what's resonating, what's not working against those core objectives. And then I would say that your first and last touch UTMs and everything that's pushed into Salesforce, as well as your self-reported attribution, is actually what informs your decision on which channels to double down on. So it might be that it suddenly started, our split currently between Facebook and LinkedIn is very heavily weighted in um, LinkedIn's favor. But such, should we see that shift um, change and actually like our CPL um, on Facebook and potential to grow there becomes like, much higher we might start to switch that gradually but I guess that's the two different ways that I would spit out how we look at the different types of reporting between in-platform and then what you can get from your Salesforce instance but it all starts with clean data and getting your infrastructure right um, in the first place so that you can actually grab those insights from your Salesforce and from in-platform as well so they're actually meaningful when you come to look at it as well. Um, we'd love a whole episode on this. I think that is actually all of our questions answered now. And that is all the content for today. So I hope that um, it was useful and we've given you some ideas of ways in which you can approach both your company LinkedIn page and start to scale that. And then also wait other ways in which you can distribute the content um, and how you can start with something very simple as one live event and then create eight different pieces of content from it, activated on three to four channels. And again, reiterating that doesn't have to be a whole team um, doing that. It, it could just be you and thinking, just focusing on what, what really makes sense for your audience. But um, yeah, please do send us any feedback and anything you'd like to hear more about in the next episode. And thank you so much for joining us. And thank you, Beano. Um, you, yeah, insights were amazing. And it was great to hear um, what you've been doing with our LinkedIn company page. Thank Thanks, you. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> See you. Bye.